Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes in the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, the true stories, and the current goings-on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck naked in the summer. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Brown County Hour. I'm your host, Janice Pierce. We have a very unusual show for you tonight, which includes a tribute to John Franz, info on saw-wet owls, an interview with local totem pole carver John Penny, and a short visit with Jan Spears about the new gallery in downtown Nashville and the Backroads Tour. And then our last segment contains pieces from our first live radio theater. So on with the show. Many Nashville visitors may have heard our street busker John Franz. On Sunday, October 23rd at the Palace Theater, several local musicians will be honoring our longtime icon. To show how much he's appreciated, the show is already sold out. This is Brown County artist Susan Showalter, and I'm sitting talking with our beloved John Franz, who's been a street singer here in Nashville most recently, but I remember him when he was playing gigs all over the place and giving a lot of people a lot of joy with his wonderful music. We're getting ready to have a kind of a special concert here at Nashville in honor of John, and so I thought I'd sit and talk with him some about his music and his life. And How are you doing today, John? Well, I'm doing... 80% today. That's pretty good. Yeah. Kind of fell in love with the way you do your music. Huh. And showed up a lot of those gigs that you used to do at the... Daily Grind. The Daily Grind. For years, I put together the Mother Earth Day concert, and John came every year and opened the concert for us, and then he scooted on down the street to his corner, and the other day I was listening to and watching the 1997 wow. Mother Earth Day tape and there you were and i wanted to ask you something about the song passing through is that your song i wish it was but no it is not and that is that's a favorite song of my own that's the song whenever i start singing anywhere that's my opening song because it just sticks with me that that song was written by a, a canadian songwriter back in the 70s it was kind of a hippie song that he wrote and that kind of became my my opening theme song, mm-hmm. Passing Through. Yeah. We're all just passing through. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're blue. I thought we might play it right now. 97? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Done to you. 
He said, talk about love, not hate. The things to do and it's getting late. We're all brothers and sisters and we're only passing through. Passing through. Passing through. Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're blue. I'm glad that I ran into you. Tell the people that you saw me passing through. Well, I shared it with George Washington. One cold night down at Valley Forge. I said, George, how come these soldiers fight the way they do? Some will even die for what they think is right Even though they know they're only Passing through Passing through Passing through Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're blue I'm glad that I ran into you Tell the people that you saw me Passing through well, if you see me passing you by, you stop and you wonder why, and you wish that you could do some touring too. Better get on the road again, pack a suitcase, stick out your thumb, thank your folks for all they've done. It's a whole life of adventure ahead of you, passing through. you're happy, sometimes you're blue. I'm glad that I ran into you. Tell the people that you saw me passing through. Passing through. Passing through. Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're blue. I'm glad that I ran into you. Tell the people that saw me tell the people that you saw me tell the people that you saw me passing through yeah thank you boy what a beautiful earth day we're having today and i'm glad to be here tell us about how you got started in music i got started when i was in the united states air force stationed at a radar site high elevation point in Oregon and with 180 horny men on a mountaintop and with nothing to do and so I started playing guitar. A fellow showed me how to play. I was Actually I was in a little trio fashioned after the uh, Kingston Trio and that got me started. We were on the front lines of the Cold War air defense and I was an electronic technician uh, in radar what year was that? That was 1962. And then when I got out of the service and was working for Indiana Bell around central Indiana, again as a, a technician on the equipment, and I was a shy boy, and I said, I don't know what to do with parties. Guitar players ruled back in the 60s. They still do, in my well, mind. And so I, I, I was very shy, so I said, I'm going to play guitar. 
and I'll meet girls at parties, and it worked. That's great. <laughs> but I loved I loved the music too. Well, it's very obvious that you love the music. Well, it comes out. It gets more job like the longer you do it. I played gigs in the nightclubs in Indianapolis for twelve years, uh, and I was married and had a baby at the time, and did uh, very well at it. Supported my family. I was also a social worker up there on the inner city, working with the inner city kids. Oh, great job! And helping people be in. Advocate for poor people, food and and helping them. I worked at a, a place called the Nearest Side Community Center, and then I also worked at a place where Pete Siebert worked at one time. That was an outfit called Area Youth Ministry. Then how did you land in Brown County? I was living in Woodruff Place in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about I need to go to a, a tourist town where I get different people passing by me on the street right. rather than because I'd been playing on the street then in front of uh, grocery stores in Indianapolis and I was getting by he just came up to me out of the blue and he said how would you like to come and play in front of my putt-putt golf course in Brown County I said boy would I so he gave me his card and just said give me a call when you're ready to come down well my house burned down so I called him up and I said I'm ready to come down there he said how much you want me to pay you I had no idea he wanted to pay me anything so I just off the top of my head, I said, oh, seven or eight dollars. He said, seven fifty. You got it. So I came down. I had four dollars to my name. I went to him and he says, here you go. You can play as long or as little as you like. Play as long or as little as you like. What a deal. (laughs) And I played there for a few weeks. But nobody ever came by. But it was right. boring. So I had scouted town out, and that's when I wanted to play in the courtyard. I gave up the steady job <laughs> to go risk playing for tips. But it was a good move. What year was that? That was 1989. So that's how I got started. And I lived out in the campground by the Remember When. I lived in a little tent back by on Salt Creek and found out years later that I was paying the guy who owned that campground. I was paying him every month, and I wasn't even on his property. <laughs> I was so down, far down Salt Creek. We laughed. But did he give the money back? No, never did. Battery-powered TV. I found a TV antenna in the trash, and I climbed a tree and put it up in a tree. So I was rolling. I was, in, yeah. I was just doing good. <laughs> and I've been here ever since. But it turned out to just be one of the best moves. You seem pretty happy to me. Oh, I am. Do you feel like any particular musicians have influenced you in your career? Many, many. But basically, I just liked pretty songs. I didn't care where they came from. I do all kinds of music, everything from 50s rock and roll to a little bit of gospel to some country, folky, mostly folky. So did you do any concerts at all? Have I done concerts? Yeah. Let me tell you. (laughs) Never give me a chance 
have done Bill Wilson probably in 1971 or two he got top billing of course I played at the the first Ohio River Valley Folk Festival oh yeah that's that's a great thing I played the first one oh I tell you it was it was the star treatment down there coming up next year will be the seventh year but some of the other concerts I've done Scott McKenzie, San Francisco, the Flyer Harris. I he, I hung out with him in 1968 in the Virgin Islands. Lived down there for three years. Oliver, good morning, starshine. Yeah, yeah. Gene, Gene, you're young and alive. That guy. Right. I did concert with him. Where was the Oliver concert? It was at a club up there. Indianapolis. Yes. Bob Gibson, he used to be on Hootenanny on TV. Ramblin' Jack Elliott, that was in Bloomington for a show. Also saw him when he played in Story that few years ago. Of course, Carrie Newcomer, Krista Detour, Todd Snyder, Roger McGuinn, The Band. The Band. And the Brown County Inn. I didn't know that. Nobody does. <laughs> and it's an amazing story. It wasn't all the members mm-hmm. of the band. It was just Garth Hudson and a couple of others that I can't remember their names. I was drinking in there on a Tuesday night, and they'd been playing for the Dalai Lama in Bloomington, and they just wanted to jam. Cool. And they came in, they said, you think they'd let us jam in there? I said, well, let's ask the bartender. And the bartender called Tom Kragnowski. She was all right. Yeah. I called Slats and Robbie Bowden to check if these guys were for real. Because <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know the numbers, members of the band. Matter right. of fact, Cl- Slat said he saw them in the Hobnob the next morning eating breakfast, and it was them. They set up the little amps and played in the Brown County Inn, and I got up and sang a couple of songs. Shaboom, 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 shaboom
friend of mine he used to come by he said his mom and dad would bring him by when he was a little kid and have him watch me play on the corner that makes me feel young yeah i taught him everything he knows i (laughs) wish i had his money lucy kaplansky she's from chicago and i think she came to brown county with her husband and stood and watched me and played for a while i I recognized her tommy makem of course tom rosnowski iris dement spent an evening with her in 1988 in Kansas City, and she has become very famous. I love her. And of course, Bill Wilson. And at the same time, we played this gig with Ramblin' Jack. Kenny Arnoff was over there, too. That was with Slats and the gang for that. But anyway, that's my list of famous people. And then he played with Tim Grimm on that Earth Day. That's right. John, do you write any music yourself? Never written a song in my life. Yeah, you just have such passion when you sing that sometimes I wonder if that's your song, like yeah, passing yeah. through. Yeah, and I do feel every song I've ever learned is so- a song that I've loved, uh, or I wouldn't learn it. There's even been a, a guy that wrote a song about me called "John Get a Job." <laughs> it is. He wrote a song. I've had several people write songs about me. <laughs> what are some other ones? Oh, one was called "I'm Hippie Man." That was a pretty good song. Of course, Slats wrote simple song about me on the cd my mom always tried to encourage me i remember the day when i decided when i quit my job with indiana bell quit all my jobs and i said i'm just going to be a musician that's all i'm going to do and right. I, I would tell my mom i'd say mom some musicians make a lot of money and some musicians don't make much but they're musicians right and that's what i am and, and i like just- being my own boss <laughs> done a few recordings you've been on some cds been on all due to slats slats wrote all the songs six cds four cds about brown county characters past and present two christmas cds with uh, half original christmas songs written by slats quite the genius in my mind i'm sure that was a real thrill to be part of that, those oh. projects because oh. they're just wonderful projects i remember the day that slats and steve miller came over and stood on the corner across the street from where i played and were just listening to me to <laughs> see if i was okay see if i sang on key and blah 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 before they ask you yeah Here's a book that I wrote back in 1984, I think. It's a book about how to be a working musician, not how to be a star, just how to be able to play the nightclubs. This is before I'd ever played for Tips on the Street, how to play the nightclubs, maybe make $400 a week, and be a working musician. 
It's called the Musician's Bread and Butter Handbook. But it's, it's all the tips. Rob Harsh read it, said he read it three times. He thought it was a wonderful book. Yeah, great. Okay. So you're a published author as well as a well, singer. a little bit. And I very successfully ran open mic shows for three years, four nights a week, 156 weeks without missing a lick and packed the place. Great shows. Of the different kinds of ways that you've been performing, what do you think, you, when you look back, what was your favorite way? On the corner, in the clubs, recording? What did you like the best? Playing on the street. Playing on the street is the... Freedom means a lot to me, as you probably know from all my posts on Facebook. Okay. Freedom. When I'm on the street, I don't have to say, Hey, welcome to Bill's Lounge tonight. My name's John Franz. We're going to sing some songs for you. Be sure to tip your waitresses. Uh, have a good time. Don't have to go through all that. You just stand and sing your songs. Stop and talk to people in the middle of a song if you want to. It's free. Come and go as you please. Freedom. It was made the best some, thing I ever did. Have you made some friends on that corner? <laughs> Like I say, I don't like to write, but I could have written a book about all the people I've met on that corner and the stories they've told me. I it bet. would have been a great book. Bill Gates walked right by me on that corner with his wife and baby. He had been speaking engagement at IU. Didn't throw me a penny. Not one cent. <laughs> Probably why he has so many. <laughs> yes. Uh, other famous people walked by. Have you ever watched the Wood Songs Music Hour on Saturday night on PBS TV? Oh, a I've great folky song. Uh-huh. And he's on the radio, too. Jonathan, Michael Jonathan. He's walked by me a couple of times. Got a different lady on his arm every year when I see him. <laughs> what a guy. And the biggest tip I've ever gotten was, everybody wants to know, everybody always wants to know, how much money you make out there, you know? And I'll tell you, I, I always say, do I look like I'm missing any meal? The biggest tip I ever got was $150 from a guy from Chicago. And I've gotten another $100 tip one time in Bloomington. Yeah, this guy from Chicago came up, and I was t- it was hot. And I was tired. And I was going to go home. I was just aching to go home. And he said, how about a love song for my girlfriend? And so I said, man, I said, I said, man, I've been here all day. It's really hot and I'm tired. I'm just going to go home. He threw a $20 bill in there. And I said, well, let me rethink this. Maybe I can think of something, <laughs> which I did. And it turned into a betting throwing match when him and his buddies kept throwing money in there and ended up being 150 bucks. It's been a gas. I have no regrets. For just about anything. I can't think of anything I've regretted. That's great. I don't think there are very many people can say that. It's been an adventure. I'm not ready to die. Some people may be thinking this concert about me is a swan song, (laughs) but it's not. Let me tell you. No, no, I don't think anybody thinks that. I think they think you've done a lot for our community, and they just want to kind of honor you. You brought a lot of enjoyment to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, we're glad you came here. Well, so am I. And we're glad you stayed here. Thanks, John, for spending some time with me today. I sure enjoyed it, and I'll be looking forward to hearing you sing again really soon. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Thanks to all those crazy people that run the show, too. (laughs) And now pause for station identification.
Welcome back to the Brown County Hour. Here's Walking with Nature with Kaylee Witt. It's a dark night in October in Brown County, and there are strange noises in the woods. I'm with a dedicated group of people who are documenting northern saw-wet owls in Yellowwood State Forest. The coordinator of this group is Ross Britton. What is the name of the organization doing the saw-wet banding? It's actually the Sassafras Audubon Society is, is who we work through. At the time in which we started this, now 10 years ago, 2002, I was on the board of directors at Sassafras Audubon Society. What does a saw-wet look like? Northern Solid Owl is actually the smallest of our owls in Indiana. They're about the size of a robin or a blue jay in terms of weight. A little shorter, shorter tails. But they're about uh, maybe five inches tall, something like that. Cute as a bud. They're, they're highly secretive, though. Most people, a lot of very serious birders, have never actually seen a Northern Solid Owl just because they are so secretive. And that's one of the reasons why I think that they were undercounted previously in the state is that most people had no idea they were out there moving. The males are smaller than the females. Males typically weigh on average probably about 70-75 grams. The females are heavier, larger, and it's not unusual in birds to what we call sexual dimorphism where the sexes are different. That's actually helpful, particularly in birds of prey or predators in general because they're separating out some of the prey that they're taking during unless in direct competition that way. What is the banding process? How does it work? The banding process is actually pretty straightforward. We try to follow the Project Owlnet protocol as much as possible. We apply the little band to the bottom length of leg. Tiny little band for a tiny little yes, leg. Exactly. And we clamp it down gently. Make sure that it spins freely and is not bound up in feathers so that it will feel uncomfy for the little owl. And then we tighten it up the rest of the way. We go out into a relatively secluded place in the woods. Uh, the whole idea is that as the owls are migrating through the area, what we do is actually play the call of solid owl, which is a simple uh, repeating, repetitive toot. Um, sounds like a dump truck backing up. And we play very loud, about 110 decibels. And so as the owls are flying through, they hear it, are curious, come down to check it out. We have, you know, depending on the station, anywhere from 5 to 10 mismets set up around the station to capture the birds as they're moving around checking it out. We average, I'd say, probably about 60 per season. So what time of year does the banding happen? This occurs in during the fall migration. It starts in about mid-October. The earliest we've ever captured a solid owl is October 16th. And then we go through through November. The latest we've ever captured one is December 4th. And by Thanksgiving, things are getting <laughs> slow and really cold out there. Because we're out in Yellowwood. We're out there in the middle of nowhere. And that's one of the reasons why we're out in the middle of nowhere is because we're playing that audio lore at 110 decibels. We don't want to disturb neighbors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have, yeah. The, have, the, have them calling the police because there's some giant dump truck out there. <laughs> what information do you collect on the owls? We're gathering basic morphometric and demographic information. We're getting 
length of wing, cord, length of tail, and the size of the bill, the mass, the weight of the owl. I want to identify the age and sex as much as possible. So separate out hatch year birds, birds that were hatched this particular year or from the adult birds. See the difference in the pigment on the feathers? See how there are feathers that are pink way down mm -hmm. and feathers that aren't? This is an older than hatch year bird. And that way we can describe the demographics of the population that we're moving through here. Part of conservation biology for any species is understanding not just how many there are of a particular species, but what are the ratios of uh, adults to young and, and ratios of males to females. So you said this program has been running 10 years. What is the purpose of the program? The purpose is to discover the natural history of this highly secretive nocturnal species, northern solid owl, here in the state of Indiana. There was very little information on solwets in the state of Indiana, but not just the state of Indiana. There were no banding stations for solwets in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, or Illinois at that time. This was a wide open area where there was nothing happening. So we decided we needed to find out what was happening with this species out there. And in this case, it's been basically rewriting the nature of the natural history of the species in the state. There are actually two more stations that have opened up in the state. Tim Tolford opened up a station in Brookville Reservoir area, and Brad Baumgartner opened up a station at the Indiana Dunes. So if you hear strange sounds in the woods at night, don't be afraid. It's just science. Thanks to Ross Britton and Vicki Moretzky. For the Brown County Hour, this is Kay Lee Witt, Walking with Nature. This is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour and WFHB. I'm talking today to John Penny, a very special artist. Hello, John. How are you today? I'm just fine, Vera. How are you? You are a totem pole carver. Do I have that correct? That's correct. I've carved totem poles for, believe it or not, over 50 years. I started, uh, I carved my first totem when I was 11 years old in the sixth grade. I needed an art project and I had a special grandfather that started me painting and carving when I was eight or nine years old. And he gave me a National Geographic with Northwest Coast art and totem poles. And I carved what I called a totem pole for our class, which looked as much southwest Kachina as it did northwest totem. But that was the start of it. So I've been carving since 1948. But you didn't actually take it seriously until what time? I carved off and on until I moved to Brown County from Fort Wayne in 1979. I started carving full time. So I've carved full time over 30 years. And... I have totems from Kitchikan, Alaska to Shanghai, China, believe it or not. What kind of role did Brown County play in your art? Well, I was introduced with my first wife to Brown County, and uh, we'd come over here to Nashville. And uh, I first fell in love with Nashville when I was a kid in the Navy. I was hitchhiking from Florida in uh, 1956, and, and I just kept coming back and coming back. I always liked southern Indiana better than I grew up up in northern Indiana around Huntington and Fort Wayne and I never liked the winters. I came to Brown County in 79 I owned this property down here and started building a log cabin from the ground up and still have it and that's when I started carving full-time. What is it about a person that helps you to choose what sort of totem you might carve? 
Well, I've never carved two alike. I never draw anything ahead, or I don't uh, mold in uh, clay or anything like a lot of artists. I do all my drawing on the log with chalk and pencil and start chiseling. And I've never, I've carved a lot of eagles and a lot of bears and a lot of orcas, but they never look the same. And uh, I get to know everybody I've ever carved a totem for, I know them. I've never sold one commercially in a shop. I, fortunately, I just, it's people I meet or somebody that sees one of my totems in the family wants to know how to get a hold of me. I've never advertised. Uh, people just come and find me ever since the first one. I've lived an artist's dream. I've got a list of four, five, six people all the time that I've promised a totem to. And I've probably carved 45 or 50. I'm not sure how many, but... Uh, all over the country but I get to know you and I get to know your favorite colors your favorite animals your favorite birds we figure out who are your spirit helpers and your spirit allies which uh, that's part of what Northwest Coast Art and the Totems are all about they those uh, tribes of people up there didn't have a written language so they carved everything so a totem tells history about the family and the tribe and rights and privileges and there's a number of different kind of totems uh, carved for different reasons. How long might it take you to complete one? A big 20-footer that's out in front of an estate on Lake Washington and I spent over 1,200 hours I kept track of. I do it all with hand tools. I don't use power tools. I learned with hand tools way back when to carve and I put 33 coats of polychrome finish on all of them with clear lacquer between coats so that takes quite a bit of time and uh, each one of them is different. So you credit your grandfather for your gift? He started me. He got me started. He, uh, he carved and made little animals of all kinds and painted them and when I was a kid in the 40s during World War II I spent a lot of time with him on the farm close to Huntington and he always called me outlaw, never called me John, and I called him D.A., his name was Dallas Anthony, and he, he's the one that, he was Shawnee. And nothing outside of wood? No, I've never carved stone. Mm -hmm. I have a set of stone carving tools I bought one time, and I, but I never got into it. Uh, I used to paint a lot with the oils, old people and Indians, you know, portraits and character studies and things like that. I'm strictly self-taught. Other than after high school, I've never had a formal education, but I've got a big library I'm proud of and uh, read and study a lot and pester a lot of other artists over the years. And it, uh, I'm a totem carver in Indiana, which is a little bit strange and rare. <laughs> out there, they know me. I've got a lot of good friends, some of the old families out in British Columbia and around Seattle and Vancouver Island. And, and to know that we have you here in Brown County, it's a wonderful thing. Well, it's the, absolutely the ideal artist community in this area. You can't beat Nashville and Brown County and Bloomington and that area. This whole area down here is... Uh, People are educated in art with the university and all, and people appreciate it. And you can't beat the the living in these hills back in the woods. And I thank you. This has been Vera Grubbs for the Brown County Hour, talking to John Penny, and we've been courtesy of WFHB.
Sound effects courtesy of Butterbean the Cat. Every October, visitors to Brown County have the opportunity to tour the back roads and visit artist studios. This is artist Susan Showalter. I'm speaking with Jan Spears of Spears Gallery. She and her husband own a new gallery on South Van Buren Street next to the Nashville House in Nashville. How's it going, Jan? It's going really well, Susan. (laughs) Wonderful. And thanks for stopping in. I wanted to see if you can tell us a little bit about how long you've been in Brown County and what you have here in your new gallery for our radio audience. We have been in Brown County for about 16 years out on 135 South, out towards Story, and have been in this new location for one month and one day. Moved in early September and focus on Larry's pottery and Kyle's photography and some clay work by our oldest son Tyler and also some of his jewelry. Great, great. It looks marvelous. Looks like you also have some other things from some other folks. We do. iron work and some wood We do. Right. We're trying trying to keep it very handmade and authentically crafted. So we have some willow furniture from Greg Adams who's up in Lapel, Indiana, and Roberta Elliott is the metal artist that we're carrying at the moment. I know that lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah she does beautiful work. She really does. This month also is a special month for a lot of artists here in the county. Can you tell us a little bit about the Back Roads Tour? This is the 10th annual. And you started it, didn't you? Well, I actually initiated the Studio and Garden Tour. This was sort of a spinoff from the Studio and Garden Tour. And, you know, I've been a part of this. I don't know that I really initiated the October event, but we've been a part of that event. And it's only successful because of all the great artists that continue to be on this and open their studios to the public. Right. And how many are on it this year? Do you remember? There are 10 different galleries Mm -hmm. um, that are open most of the time this year. And some of them have more than one artist. Some of them do have more than right, one artist, right, right. yes. Yeah. yes. And that goes the whole month? The entire month. And the brochure tells about the, the specifics of each gallery, right? As right. far as it, hours and opening. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the brochure is available at the Convention and Visitors Bureau and at several of the uh, motels mm-hmm. in, in the community. Well, I'm so excited to see another pottery in town because it's not very often that there's more than one. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's a good thing. Larry and John Mills are great friends. Right. Um, known each other for a long time, and actually Larry was probably bitten by the clay bug in direct relationship to his acquaintance with John Mills. So yeah. it's very full-circle, deja vu-esque feeling to be in Nashville with John still over here making pots. Yeah. It's just a very neat feeling. And you have a piece in right outside your front door that was done by an old friend of mine, Carl Martz. Right. Yeah. He designed he, the fountain. And actually, I think Hank Swain is actually the builder. Yeah, he built it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Carl had, a, at one point, a pottery in town here a long time ago. Right. And then there was the Griffith Pottery, too. Oh, okay. I'm not sure it was right in town, but I think it might have been. Great to have you here, and I wish you much luck. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted you to tell us a little bit about the space here in the rear of the gallery. We have an opportunity in the back end of the gallery, in the working studio section, for individuals to come in and pick out a pre-thrown and bisque-fired piece of pottery and apply Raku glaze to that, and then Larry is taking that out to our primary studio out on 135 South and firing it, and we'll either have it here for pickup within a few days after they 
create their masterpiece or we ship it to them. So that's a lot like Clay Day. It is. It's a lot like Clay Day. And that's an annual event that you have in August, correct? Correct. Yeah, out, at the, out at the other how place. Many, how many years have you had Clay Day? Oh, I don't remember a lot. <laughs> I appreciate your being with us. Let's hope we have a great season here in Nashville. Yes, and I hope everybody comes downtown to actually just to see the community in downtown is actually very wonderful. And it seems like there are lots of artists downtown right. working. So a new uh, emergence of artists in the middle of town, and I think that's great. Like back in the 70s exactly. when I first came here. Exactly, a new renaissance going Thanks on. Thanks again, Jan. Thanks. And this is Brown County artist Susan Showalder for Brown County Hour and WFHB Radio. And now pause for station identification. Welcome back to the Brown County Hour. We had a great live show and successful fun drive last weekend with the WFHB Firehouse Follies at the Fieldhouse in downtown Nashville. For those of you who missed the show, here are some highlights. Now here's a little word about one of the truly great attractions of Brown County. Now you break wine with Martha White. White's a frying flower, that one all purpose flower. Martha White's a frying flower, got high rise. Yes, friends, that little tune became famous to millions of people because of radio. For the finest biscuit cakes and pies, it Martha White's a frying flower, that one all purpose flower. Martha White's a frying flower, got high rise. Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs and the Foggy Mountain Boys sang it every week on their radio show. And a million cooks and housewives were delighted with the product. And millions of stock boys in grocery stores were using language that you can't broadcast on the radio when they had to lug all that flour to keep the shelves filled. Martha White may have helped a lot of folks bake better cakes and pies, but when it comes to biscuits, oh my, when it comes to biscuits, we, right here in Brown County, we have outdone even Martha White. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Those Brown County deep-fried biscuits with the cinnamon apple butter. That's it. You got it. Brown County deep-fried biscuits are just plain heavenly. If they'd have had these biscuits in ancient Greece, they would have called them the food of the gods and just slopped the hogs with that ambrosia stuff. (laughs) (laughs) They're made with a special recipe, yeasty and tender, and then deep-fried to the most delicious brown in all of Brown County. 
They come to your table heaped in a basket and covered with a fine linen napkin, accompanied by a bowl of the world's best apple butter, with its flavor all woke up and glimmering with just the right touch of cinnamon. Well, of course, now that cinnamon had to be imported from some exotic foreign place. That's true. Truth and labeling now. We're honest, folks. We bring it all the way, all the way from Bloomington. And what it does to those biscuits. Ah, uh, yeah. I like to tear a biscuit in half and take a whiff of that heavenly fragrance as the steam drifts out of the warm insides. Oh, yeah. Then you take a dollop of apple butter. A dollop? That's what we call it in these parts, a dollop. Oh, you beautiful dollop, you great big beautiful dollop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you layer it on the creamy white insides of that biscuit. And you better have your chair pushed solidly under the table, because just the aroma of that work of culinary art will take you right up to the ceiling. But then you pop it in your mouth, and then... Oh, and then... And then comes the flavor. Mmm! Mmm! The moist tingle of the apple butter, the delicate crunch of the outside delight, firm, supple roundness of the insides. Oh, you talk about hot rice. <laughs> Let me tell you, the government don't have to spend all that money on NASA. Just put enough of those Brown County biscuits under one of them Saturn Fives, it'll go right to the moon. Yep, you'll find them over at the Nashville House, the Brown County Inn, and a bunch of other places around these parts all year long. That's right. Fall colors come and go, but Brown County deep-fried biscuits are here forever. Biscuits are best in the county of Brown. Deep-fried heaven, you can really go to town. When you spread that apple butter on It's a biscuit for the ages So say all the sages Brown County deep fried biscuits take the crown Here now is another selection from the Brown County Chronicles of Gunther Flum. This is entitled, The Price Was Right. One day in the early sun, as the day had slow begun, I saw a tourist driving by. When something caught that feller's eye, he turned around and came back quick, and he said, Hey, you there, country hick, how much money would it take to buy your farmer's hat and rake? And how much money should I get for your truck and tractor set? And how about your house and barn? Hey, how much for your whole darn farm? I'll buy the goats, the horse and cow. I'll even buy the pig somehow. I'll buy the chickens and the ducks. I'll pay for each one million bucks. Any creature you can name, count them all. I'll pay the same. And though he's sleeping like a log, I'll pay you a million for that dog. So please consider my request, for I have money to invest, and even though it makes no sense, I'll buy your place from fence to fence. Now, he had me thinking for a while. 
The city slicker had some style. He saw the value of my place. He must have come here by God's grace. And then he added just a touch of what I thought a tad too much. I said, now, mister, if I heard your every single tiny word, you said you'd pay a million bucks for all my cows and pigs and ducks. For every critter I can reach, you'll pay for all a million each. And if you want that house and barn, I'd have sold you the wife and kids and farm. Your price was right, I must admit, but I found one thing didn't fit. I'd sell it all and say farewell, but the deal's off. I cannot sell. For there's one thing you cannot buy. I'll fight you if you even try. So save your money for my bail. Because that there dog, he ain't for sale. <laughs> Susan, uh, I understand that uh, one th- well, I know that one thing and everybody in Bloomington knows about Brown County is that people come over here and they just get lost. All the time. That's true, Colonel Kelsey. Happens all the time. Our hills and hollers can be pretty hard to navigate if you don't know where you're going. Well, here's a little story about a couple of guys who decided to use the help of a GPS. Well, you know, Brian, this is so cool that you can come to Brown County with me. I haven't seen my Uncle Rufus since I was a little kid. Oh, it's no problem, Mike. It's a good way to spend some time with my cousin. How come we see so little each other when we live in the same city? I mean, I know, I know we're busy running with the rat race all the time, but Uncle Rufus... He's got a story. Did you know he became some kind of a hero down here? Have you heard much about that? Hero? Oh, man, I got to hear this. But, hey, do you even know how to get to his place? Uncle Rufus lives somewhere on uh, John Butler Road, way out in the boonies. But don't worry, we won't get lost. I got a good map in the glove compartment. (laughs) Map? We don't need no stinking map. (laughs) Look at this. I got a GPS, man. It was on sale at the Shemp's Club. Uh Uh-oh. You know how to use it? Hey, do I know how to use a GPS? I sure do. Forget your old map. All you gotta do is turn it on. Okay, and enter in the destination. John Butler Road, is that what you said? Yeah, Butler. B-U-T-L-E-R. Got it. Hey, you know, I've been thinking about Uncle Rufus, how he ended up in Brown County. I never did understand the situation. The family, well, they just won't talk about it at all. There. Okay. I just hit go. Wow, cool, it even talks. Yeah, you could even get different voices like, you know, Darth Vader, Justin Bieber. Turn right onto State Highway 46 in one half mile. And there's the intersection. It's a miracle. Is that Helen Keller's voice? <laughs> Very funny. All right, so tell me about Uncle Rufus. I never actually met him. I guess he was sort of the black sheep of the family, choosing to move into the country like he did. Turn right onto State Highway 46. He almost never came back to the city since he moved out here, and he only comes to Nashville about once a month. Turn right onto State Highway 46 in one-eighth mile. Once a month? That's kind of weird. How come he... Turn right onto State Highway 46 in one-sixteenth mile. Hey, is that GPS going to... Turn right gonna... onto State Highway 46 in one-thirty-second mile. Hold on. Yeah, I, mean, I better just... Turn right onto State Highway 46 in one-sixteenth... Sorry. It was in elderly driver mode. 
Well, I just hope it knows where we're going. It knows. Don't worry. But back to Uncle Rufus. Did you ever? Uh, did you ever visit him out there at his place? Oh, only one time that that I recall when I was just a little kid. All I remember is a lot of big trees and a small house, a real log cabin. There was a long lane up the hill, and all these dark woods. I don't think he even had running water or electricity back then. Wonder if he's got them now. Back then, he was doing leather work, and he had pieces of leather hung all over. Turn right onto County Road 700 West. 700 West? I don't remember that. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Just turn right there, man. Okay, but I thought it was farther out. You know, Uncle Rufus used to have a leather shop in Nashville, but he gave it up in 1999. He thought the world was going to end, is what I heard. Really? (laughs) Wow. What's this about him being a hero? Well, that now is quite a story. Dad told me that... Turn right onto Greasy Creek Road. Oh, I don't remember this at all. Hey, man, the GPS, it's just, it's never wrong. It's given us the shortest route. Well, okay, it's its pretty dry anyhow. It sure is. What with the leaves turning all gorgeous fall colors and everything. Beautiful country out here. I can see why Uncle Rufus likes it. But anyway, how did he get to be a hero? He didn't set out to be a hero or anything. It just kind of happened. It was back in the 1960s when he was young and just starting to grow a beard. Bear right onto Turn Wallow Hill Road or turn right onto Bear Wallow Hill Road, whichever comes first. Now that's weird. I mean, it doesn't usually say things like that. Maybe it's not sure where we're going. Oh, no, it knows. It knows. Believe me. It got me to Kroger's and back yesterday. No problems at all. Yeah, but I can get to Kroger's and back with no GPS. But this road isn't. I mean, I don't really Turn recognize. Turn right onto Wallow Hollow Road. Hey, that's three right turns. You know what that means? We're going in a circle. And this road's getting bad. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and I told you we should have taken my SUV. Ow! But no, you want to uh, save gas. Uh, oh. Do you think we can make it across that creek in a smart car? Yeah, probably. You gotta roll up your windows, though. Ooh. Oh, oh, jeez. Oh, oh. Oh, man, okay, we made it. Whoa. This is a really steep hill. As if there's anywhere else we can go. I hope we don't meet another car. This road's too narrow for even this car to turn around. Oh, look. Oh, wow. What a view. This is beautiful sight, man. Ridge after ridge, all the way out to the horizon. Turn right at the big oak tree with Abe Martin carved on it. What big oak tree? There's no road here. Turn right now. Turn right. Please turn right. Please. What is that thing? A Republican? If I... It is a Republican. You and your GPS. Wait, 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 wait a minute. There's a message on the screen. Let's see here. No function. Brown County Zoning Ordinance does not permit satellites overhead. Hold on. I'll try to get it back. We're lost, man. Lost in Brown County. If you lived here, you'd be home by now.
please welcome Hickory Wind for a very special rendition of a song we all know and love. Sculptures too. Nashville cats doing art since they were baby. Nashville cats throwing pots since they were two. Well, there's 1,352 pot throwing kitties in Nashville, and they can throw more pots than the number of ants on a Tennessee anthill. There's 1,352 portrait easels in Nashville. And anyone who takes up public press can paint twice as better than I will. Nashville cats always painting pictures. Nashville cats making sculptures too. Nashville cats doing art since they were baby. Nashville cats throwing parties since they were too. Yeah, I was just 13, you might say I was a true artistic neophyte I saw some brand new art on gallery shelves And they seemed alright Biscuits get performed by Rick Fettig and Scrapper Blackwell Gunther Flum poem read by Alan Deck GPS skit players were Hondo Thompson, Betty Greenwell, and Rick Fettig Music by Hickory Wind. To hear the complete two-hour live show, you can go to wfhb.org or browncountyhour.com. Well, that's our show, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Brown County Hour is brought to you by a team of dedicated volunteers living in the hills of Brown. Executive producer Chad Carruthers. Managing producer Pam Rader. Technical producer and webmaster Jeff Foster. Our creative team of writers, correspondents, editors, and technicians include Bruce Clegg, George Clegg, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Scott Nelson, Janice Pierce, J.T. Robinson, Susan Showalter, and Kaylee Witt. You can hear this show or any of our previous ones at wfhb.org or browncountyhour.com. Mark your calendars for our next show, December 17th. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home. Brown County home.